This is the Cyclone Fanatic Built to Lead podcast series. Presented by Graphite Construction Group. We build it better. Learn more at graphitegrp.com. Now, here's Chris Williams. All right, guys, what is up? Welcome to this month's Built to Lead podcast here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Of course, we are presented by our friends at Graphite Construction Group. The basis of this podcast is always to talk to leaders uh, in their field. Obviously, we want to have it close to Iowa State Athletics. No doubt about that. There are a lot of people. uh, It's not just the head coaches, stuff like that, right? There are a ton of people behind the scenes, and we want to talk to leaders of all kinds on this podcast series. And the guy who I'm going to bring to you today, in my opinion, is one of the great leaders that Iowa State has to offer. Um, He's a behind-the-scenes guy, but he is, if you would ask, man, I'd say if you ask pretty much anybody around Iowa State, not just around basketball, they would say Micah Byers is one of the top humans uh, in the Iowa State Athletic Department. Uh, He's a guy who I've learned a lot from over the years. We will talk about that in today's podcast. But really, uh, if you look at the last year, um, is in terms of leading young men, the um, the these development and guys who are around the players all the time uh, during COVID. Man, it's been uh, you've had to be able to work on the fly and adjust. And I mean, that's really what leadership is, right? Micah has been instrumental uh, with that. And we'll talk a little bit about that, but not just, we also recorded this on the anniversary of the George Floyd murder, uh, which I mean, obviously really uh, impacted sports, right? Uh, We saw athletes all over the world, uh, making the presence felt on that, uh, specifically uh, even in college basketball. And how do you talk with young people through that? How do you work through that? Uh, Micah is going to discuss with me a lot of the work he did behind the scenes at Iowa State last year to help the athletes through all of that. And with that, uh, I think you guys will really enjoy it. Uh, he's a good buddy of mine. I really appreciate him. I think you guys will all take take a lot from this. Uh, we wanted to record this and put it up so you had some extra content to listen to for Memorial Day. So here's my interview. The Built the Weed podcast series continues on. Of course, we are presented by our friends at Graphite Construction Group. Here's my interview with Iowa State Ops Director at the basketball program. He was with Fred Hoiberg, with Steve Probe, now been retained on the TJ Otzelberger staff. His name is Micah Byers. I'm back up here at the Suka practice facility today, and one of my one of my favorite dudes. I'm not just saying that. Micah Byers uh, with men's basketball is today's guest. And uh, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Just uh, getting ready as uh, we prepare to have our players come back on the campus. But uh, just taking some time with the staff, and you know, re-energize, getting ready to you know have a great summer with our with our players. How much better is this May than last May? <laughs> markedly better. Uh, my wife and I, we don't take quite as many uh, walks, uh, quarantine walks as we did before, but oh, we're man. a lot, lot more involved uh, in our in our jobs. But yeah, it's it's amazing to think that one year has passed. If you would have asked us or said, uh, you know, two years ago, that's what it, your next year was going to look like. You don't, don't know how you'd get through it, but man, it's yeah. been good. I mean, I was watching just like the, the PGA Championship the other day, 
And one of the first things that came to my mind is like, wow, that crowd, we would all be just like losing our minds a year ago. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> when you see those, there's a little bit of trepidation, but, it, you know, hopefully we're making our way back to some new sense of new normalcy. But yeah, you remember last year, they were trying to jam sporting events down your throat at the end. Yeah. At the end of it and say, hey, you can do things. But I think we've hopefully made the right choices towards getting back to having those crowds and having it be normal. It seems like it. So you're kind of like the I mean, you're you're like the glue guy now. I mean, you're like the elder statesman of Iowa State basketball. Yeah. Yeah. These days. How's that? I mean, you, so you've been here since 2012? 11. 11. 11. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm actually going to get honored at the uh, the next all-staff meeting with a 10-year reward. So <laughs> I can I can promise you that back in 2011, when this opportunity was presented to my family and I, that uh, we didn't envision ourselves being here 10 years, not because it wasn't a great place, just because I really hadn't looked that far into the future and never had been anywhere uh, job-wise for that duration. So it's a blessing and it's been awesome. Well, cause, so you were obviously you're retained when, when Steve came yep. and now you've been retained with, with TJ. We, yep. I want to talk about that relationship at yep. some point, but yep. like, what is it that made you want to keep staying? Because yeah. that's three different eras. Well, did you actually, were you coming with under McDermott or no, I, I knew of course I had a relationship with TJ. So yeah. I came, I came Fred's second going okay. into Fred's second That's what year. it was. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. But they, like you, Clearly, like, there's been a lot of change yes. since you've been here. There, it yeah. would have been easy for you to be like, oh, I'm going to look for an opportunity elsewhere. Right. Why are you still here? Yeah, uh, it's really, I mean, everyone says it's hard. It's one of those hard things that are hard to measure until you get here. People, talk, they talk about the people mm -hmm. and how great it is. And I think our, um, you know, our athletic department, the leadership that we have there has provided the consistency. But the the coaches that we've hired uh, have been amazing people and really good, uh, really good coaches. Uh, but also the student athletes, you know, they have, you know, they've continued to allow me to pour into them and just be a part of their lives, you know, even after they've left Iowa State. And so it's just been great. It's been mutually beneficial. My family likes it. Our children enjoy being here. My wife enjoys this area. So it's a tough place to leave. And I don't want to, you know, yeah. I don't want to look elsewhere because it's going to be hard to replicate what you have here. So why try? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good way to put it. Um, I want to get into some pretty deep stuff that you and I have talked about one-on-one. Um, -on -one. Uh, with our audience. But first of all, this relationship with TJ, is it's it's been kind of fascinating for me to watch. I mean, I specifically remember sitting in TJ's office when he's like, oh, yeah, this guy from South Florida or Central Florida. Central Florida, yeah. Is right. coming and yeah. he worked with me at Chipola and he was talking. I, so I like, I kind of knew you before I even knew you. Right. With that connection. But it is wild to look at where you guys are now. Cause yeah. I know that I know how those Juco jobs work. You're not living the life of luxury. No, no. And I think that was kind of the tie that bound us because when we were there, uh, back in the, uh, the Oh four Oh five season at Chipola coaching Mike Taylor, Stefan Hanna, yeah. um, you know, th that group, uh, there that we were kind of all making the same salary. We were all up and coming coaches, all learning from one another. So you can go one of two ways. You can make each other adver adversaries, which that wasn't an option for us, or you become friends and then you fall in love with, 
you know, helping athletes reach the next level, which you can easily at junior college. And then we just continued our relationship because it was genuine. Uh, you know, he's uh, he's a great guy and he's been awesome to our family. So, yeah, it's been it's been interesting to think back when we introduced ourselves back uh, 2004, that it was going to lead to uh, being a part of his wedding and now being a part of his uh, staff uh, as a co-worker, as an assistant coach, and then now working with him as a head coach. At what point in that relationship did you think that he would be a head coach? Yeah. You know, Is knowing, there... yeah. Well, knowing his drive when we, when we worked together, you know, quick story, when we were, worked together at Chipola, you know, we had such a highly ta- uh, talented team that, you know, we tried to make sure we never got to confuse that what we were doing, there was not a coach on the staff that was over 30 years old and we were going out and winning a tremendous amount of games. I think we ended up winning 35 games and setting the school record, but we didn't take ourselves too seriously. Uh, when we went out there because we knew our talent level was extremely high. But when we started to get into uh, playing to go to Hutch to the national tournament, TJ actually did the scouting report and it was uh, Daytona state college. And it was Brad Underwood was the head coach. Oh and wow! They, they had an equally talented team. And it was the first time that I saw really TJ's laser focus in the sense of preparation for that scouting report, because we knew we had equal parts uh, pretty much on the floor talent wise. And to see him go out and put a scouting report together and, and interact with the head coach and make sure our students, our athletes knew what Daytona Beach's strengths were. And we went out there and we beat them uh, in the state championship. And it was partly because we had really good players, but also TJ did was laser focused and had a really good scouting report. So to see him put that together and then we moved on to Hutch and where we competed and made it to the you know junior college final four. But that's when I started to notice it. And then we maintain our relationship. But when I came back, uh, here, or when I came here in 2011, I was able to see him in a different light as somebody who is established as a coach, established as a recruiter. Yeah. And the other thing I look at in our business is sometimes people want to be assistant coaches because they just want to be the boss. Other times people want to be head coaches or head coaches yeah. because they want to be the boss. He's somebody that wants to be a head coach because, and he's earned it because he knows how to be a CEO of a program and take on all the responsibilities. Yeah. And that's where sometimes I think it gets lost with people wanting to just coach the games. He understands what it means to be the gatekeeper of everything involved with the program. I felt like um, maybe you did too. There was a point with him where I almost, and I admire this because I think a lot of people who are great in anything that they do, you you have to have this chip on your shoulder. I almost felt like he got to the because he is a great recruiter, right? I felt like there was some sort of a point where he it almost like bugged him that that was all people talked about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, maybe when he went to Washington, or actually, I think it was before that when basically when Fred came and kind of promoted him, right? Did but. You saw it earlier, though. Yeah, you know, I saw it. I saw it when we were at, at Chipola, but then I really saw it as I was following his career when he was here. But I think Washington's a great example of, I don't think that he left Iowa State because, and I can't speak for him, but from afar, I don't think it was, there was any animosity or any love loss, but I think for him, it was a chance to go and legitimize himself in another league. I agree. With another yeah. head coach and to kind of spread his wings elsewhere. And then I think what he found was he could still recruit when he was at Washington, he could still coach. And when the opportunity came, the first opportunity came available for him to make his way back to Ames, he was on the first thing smoking. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I, we went from talking on the telephone about the open job to sharing a hotel room in Indianapolis at the final four within like days, literally like, Hey, this job's open. Oh yeah. Let's get two room keys. 
I mean, it was that quick, you know, yeah. when, when it came open. So I know that TJ loves this place and, you know, and Allison and the family does. So I, I know when every chance that he's had to come back, you know, he's made sure he could do it. Well, it's good. It, it's been a neat couple of months uh, to watch everything kind of form. Yeah. Um, the, I want to talk to you about the last year, though, um, specifically. I mean, I, I've kind of like. I'll just say it now. I, I, I've kind of talked about you on my radio show. I don't know if you've heard my like, but I, I've said I have a really wise friend who I can bounce things off of when it comes to this stuff. But it was a year ago, May 25th, when the George Floyd murder sure happened. And man, I, I, I'll tell you, like, I was not prepared for that. Being a white guy from Southwest Iowa, yeah. you know, coming up to Iowa State, I, I saw a lot more diversity in you know, um, I had black roommates and stuff, which was great for a guy. But, like, I was not prepared for three hours a day on the radio yeah. in a world where the whole stick to sports was what they used to tell us. Right. You know, the fans, right. you can't do that anymore if you want to be taken seriously. Right. Um, I guess from where you sit, how has your job changed yeah. in the last year? Yeah, it's it's changed tremendously because I think we all experienced this. Uh, we had this visceral experience because of what we all saw unfold on a video. And for some people in our community, it's things that they may have experienced or seen for themselves. But what I think it did was it shed some light on or for everybody to see, you know, what happens to people of color, but also for every for any citizen, I think could see themselves there. I think any uh, dad could see themselves in that situation or, you know, any person of color. So it was a, it was a, uh, it was a unique experience and it was, uh, horrific to watch play out in real time. But I think the, what's transpired since has been a sense of activism for a lot of people. And with us being in sports, yeah. we have had a unique platform to help our student athletes guide them through this because our ultimate goal should be to help them. But we also need to be careful of their uh, emotions and help them figure out how to express them in a positive way. Yeah, that seems like such a fine line. Yeah. Because it, 20 years ago, I think it would have been a lot easier because you could control like, oh, they're going to meet with the media, they're – well, now, I mean, they just pull their phone out of their pocket, and if they're rightfully enraged by something that they see on TV or right. that somebody tweeted, it'd be really easy to – I mean, I'm guilty of that, not from a racial standpoint, but, yeah. like, if somebody snaps at me, like, I could get all my cheesemo and yeah. puff my chest and do something that I would come to regret. How do you right. walk that fine line with such an emotional topic as, um, you know – racial conversations right with 18 to 22 year olds yeah i mean it's it's tough and you have to you have to learn to relearn um how to deal with these young men in in this regard because this isn't uh, something you know they're used to being able to control everything if they're not as fast they can work on their their footwork or if they're not shooting as well they can get in the gym so this is something that they're all living in real time so what I think we had to do in the moment and still to this day we're having to figure out like hey if someone fires off a tweet or an Instagram post or something like we have to we can't get angry at them we have to teach them to maybe own it and understand maybe why they you know 
maybe should shape their response in a different way, but also let them express themselves. I mean, I think for us, we didn't micromanage their accounts or anything. We just really followed them and made sure that they were understanding of maybe why they were getting certain feedback from people. But it's a, it's a very thin line, um, to walk with that age group. And even for myself as an, as an adult, you know, I'm learning in real time with them as well, how to deal with this and how to navigate it because we did have so much, you know, free time as people experiencing a quarantine, uh, you know, we were there, but I think it gave us the, a perfect window of, of time to spend more, or a perfect opportunity to spend more time with our players talking through this than in a normal year where we would have to balance, you know, school and workouts and everything. This mm-hmm. gave us a chance. So, you know, we used we burned up zoom minutes and, you know, and, and text messages chains and everything. So it's been a great experience to, to empower these, these guys, but it's been really good to learn, you know, kind of what their journeys have been and what they're gone through so we can help, uh, you know, again, help shape that for them. I want to give an example of a time that I called you. It was when, um, coach McDermott, who's a friend of both of ours, yeah. um, used that word plantation and it became a national news story. And I called you before I went on the radio and and a little bit ignorant of me, but I also, my mom's from South Carolina and I like, I've been to hotels that have the name plantation in them. Right. And I asked you simply like, okay, how can this be like a part of our daily, like vocabulary yet be, so offensive to the young men in that room. And I, we have one of the most enlightening conversations I've, I think I've ever had in my life. And I guess like to me, like how do we keep pushing that? Right. Because, and, and, and how do we use sports to be able to do that? Because I've learned so much from talking to you in these types of deals. How do we do that and use college athlete? How can these guys do that? So it's not a negative, right? So it's not, especially in a town like Ames, predominantly white let's right. be honest yep. not saying it's predominantly racist i'm saying it's predominantly white yep. but there's such a misunderstanding i think sometimes between a privileged white guy like me and what some of these young men grew up with yeah i think sometimes you know and i'm from the south myself from mm-hmm. from florida originally and so uh, a lot of it is you know the connotations of, of a word like plantation and the manner in which you use it what i think we probably have to do and it's what we discussed is not vilify people you know it's it's been said and it's out there in the ether and there's no taking it back you can't unthrow the rock you can't unsay the words but what where i think the real lesson kicks in is is once it's been said is in the education piece and so the the perpetrator or the person who does it and then also the people who feel wronged by it it's okay to feel wronged but it's also okay to embrace folks and help educate them as to why maybe that was offensive because i don't think we can get past it it's what you know just what you said we were talking about certain places in South Carolina and the South where plantation golf courses, restaurants, where that's just in the word and, you know, in the word. And so it becomes a part of your regular verbiage, but not understanding how that could be hurtful to a segment of the population. And it doesn't make you a bad person for not knowing once once it's exposed to us at that point, that's when the edu- that's when it's incumbent upon us to learn that that may be offensive to someone and understand why. And then to maybe then we have the choice as to how we use those words going forward. Do you do you feel like we're making progress like in the last year or does yeah. this because I, I could see how a guy like me, like I've come a really long way. But yeah. for for a black man, it might be like, man, we're still crawling. 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, you know, speaking for myself, it's hard to, you know, I know you're not asking me to speak for the entire black race. I definitely think that there has been progress that's been made. I think when it gets thwarted sometimes is when it becomes political because there's people of all colors on both sides yeah. uh, politically. Um, I also think sometimes when we use, you know, somebody saying that people are being woke uh, or <laughs> using terminology like that can almost seem that someone doesn't want to learn more. And I think that we're on a constant education process through, you know, journey throughout our lives. And I think we always want to learn more. I want to learn more about, you know, cultures that are different than mine. And I think the only way you can do it is by asking questions and meeting people that look different than you and that have had different experiences than you. So, you know, I think that there's definitely been progress, but it's like anything you want to continue the dialogue and not allow the movement to be thwarted because things are getting more back to normal from a post pandemic sense, mm -hmm. we have to carry this and understand that and all the, and all the history books and everything that we've ever read, you always read about it and wonder what it looked like in real time. Well, mm -hmm. we're here and we're a part of it, but we have to embrace it. We just can't allow ourselves to go back to our screens and back to our silos and not continue to make progress. We have to continue to do this now and in five years and in 10 years so that we're more educated collectively. Do you think with, with college athletics is fascinating to me that, I mean, five years ago, Black Lives Matter was like a swear word right. to some people. Yeah. Last year, it's on the NBA court yeah. during the playoffs. Right. Um, I mean, even look at the um, Colin Kaepernick. I mean, how much that conversation, in my opinion, that got hijacked pretty quickly for, for political reasons. But like that, that has evolved. It right. still makes a lot of people mad, but I think more people understand like where it's coming from. Right. I guess my question is, so I've seen growth where like, I feel like college athletes have way more power than they used to over their voice. And I'm not even talking about like name image likeness stuff. It's just more like they, I, I think it's really difficult for a coach now to be like, you can't use Twitter. Correct. Three years ago, that was happening all over the country. Yes. Yeah. How do we um, keep pushing this in a positive way? Yeah. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. So it doesn't turn into, oh, yeah. those woke, you know, like, yeah. like you just said, how do we keep pushing this? Right. No, it's a, it's a great, what I think that we have to do is continue and it sounds cliched, but we have to continue to educate them. Like you said, we have to embrace that they have more of a pulpit now to speak from. And so you can either go. Uh, you know, nuclear and say no one on Twitter, no one on social media. Well, we know what reaction that gets. I mean, so what we need to do is continue to to educate them. And and I think that the Big 12 did a great job uh, this past season with allowing, you know, shooting shirts and emblems and logos. Yeah. And I also think that I think that the student athletes appreciated that and embraced the ability for, you know, kind of a faceless um you know, office, like the big 12 office for them, they don't have much interaction with them that they were able to reach out to them and, and talk to them on a level that said, Hey, feel free to express yourself. What I think we have to do as in individual institutions is continue to educate, um, you know, our student athletes on what it means to reach out socially, uh, and, and continue to involve them into pro in, uh, projects locally and then back in their home states. But I also think it's important for the Big 12 and these other entities to embrace them and allow them to continue to have a voice in what's important to them. So whether it's Black Lives Matter as a saying or the organization, again, there's not a real clear line of delineation there for yeah. certain people. But and it kind of depends on where... 
Like, how do you want that to be? Correct. Your narrative, Correct. right? Correct. Yes. And so to me, it's, and, and even that is something where I think we, it's up to us to educate ourselves on learning more about that and not just eschewing things because they may be difficult or hard, or we may not know enough about them. But I think for, for our student athletes, this is a great time for them. I mean, you, you mentioned the name, image and likeness, but again, that to me with the social movement that goes to the background, because right now you are able to reach a platform of people who like our student athletes at Iowa state that may look different than the fan base, explaining to them your journey of how you got here and how you've, you know, and how you were embraced in a city or a state that wasn't yours and how you've enjoyed the journey. That's a, that's a big deal. And I think that we, that's how we learn. And I've said this to you before, we are a lot more alike than we are different. You and I different, you know, from different parts of the country, but we have a lot more things in common when it gets down to it. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, yes, we're men, we're fathers, we are, you know, husbands. And you know, the truth is we may disagree a little bit on certain things, but usually when you talk enough, you realize you have a lot more common ground than not. Yeah. I, I think that that's man, most fights people get into, especially yeah. on social media. It's like, yeah have a beer together. Right. <laughs> you yeah, know, talk yes. it out. Yes. Um, that's cool. Yeah. I, I, I feel like it's, I don't know. It's, it's been really interesting since like, so when you got here in 11, we just, yep. Correct. Like how well versed were you even on like Twitter to like talk with these guys? Yeah. So my, my Twitter story quick, <laughs> the reason I have Twitter for a reason because of college basketball players. So for those who may not be familiar, I came from the university of central Florida and both of Michael Jordan's sons were on our team and back in, and it sounds archaic even to say, say this, but back in the summer of 2010, Marcus Jordan and one of our other student athletes went to Las Vegas to his father's fantasy camp. And during the time of that fantasy camp, uh, they rang up quite a charge at uh, some of the local uh, high-end stores. And Marcus, uh, that was normal life for Marcus. And he was a very, Marcus is Michael Jordan's youngest son. Mm -hmm. And um, what Marcus did was he took a picture of the receipt, you know, kind of showing, hey, look what I spent this weekend. Look what I did. And it was for over $35,000. And he tweeted the picture out. And so to Marcus in his world, it was like, hey, this is what a weekend looks like when you ball out, when you're having fun. Well, what Marcus wasn't really taken into account at that time, and he was younger and, you know, he's a successful entrepreneur right now. But what he wasn't taking into account is that dollar figure that he had tweeted out was more than the working wage of a, you know, many Americans at that time. Yeah. And so our athletic department and asked our uh, coaching staff at the time, Hey, someone needs to monitor these Twitter accounts or whatever this is. And so at that, at that time I was the youngest person on the staff and they're like, Hey, why don't you take <laughs> it Twitter? Out. <laughs> and so I sat yeah. down and just try, I asked one of our players like help sign me up and everything. So I, that's how I started on, on Twitter, uh, yeah. you know, was monitoring Marcus Jordan's account. And then I started to get followers and follow people back, but it's changed quite a bit since I got here. It used to be one of the big things when I first got here was people retweeting song lyrics and people not understanding context. Yeah. So, you know, it's one thing to do a country lyric of the day and someone may think that you're, you know, a, you know, somebody that I, really gets down and enjoys, you know, a, a cold beer and <laughs> hanging out with your friends. But if you repeat the middle verse of maybe a more hardcore song with different lyrics, they may think that that's what you're saying. And so there was a lot of, con you know, issues with context. One guy got fired from the Des Moines Register. Oh, the, really? Um, yeah. Now, I mean, there was a bunch of other stuff going on at the time, but he was a young white guy and he had put some 
hardcore rap yeah lyrics and i, I mean i think that that was why he got fired i'm right. not 100 percent sure but yeah i kind of understood it because i i grew up listening to hip-hop yeah so it's like i could see how that but i could also see like my dad would read that this what this guy had tweeted and not have yeah. any clue. Well, that's what some some yeah. people would read that. Half of us would read it and go, man, he's plagiarizing Tupac. Yeah. And then the other <laughs> half are like, man, that guy's going through some deep stuff, some deep, dark stuff. Like he's lived a life that I didn't know he lived. You know, I, I had yeah. no idea he was from South Central Los Angeles. Over in Waukee. Yeah. 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 Jeez. Uh, it's it's fascinating. All right. Um, let's, let's keep doing um, – a little bit of Iowa State basketball sure. here. You guys, uh, I like talking. This you have one of my like dream jobs in the sense of like I used to love like the March Madness games in the NCAA football where I could yep. put together the schedule. Oh yeah. Now it's not yeah. as I don't think it's as glamorous as it was where I could do it in ten minutes on yeah. there. Yeah. But I feel like the schedule making's been a lot more fun for you than when you first got here, right? Like, yeah. It just seems like there's so many more opportunities for Iowa yep. State. And I, I've said it each time you you uh, you give me this opportunity to speak. You know the. The reason that we're in the the higher level multi-team events is because of the way our fans show up, plain and simple. You know, yeah. it has nothing to do with my Rolodex or my persistence, uh, you know, in calling or anything. It has everything to do with how our fans show up. So when we play in the Maui Invitational, it becomes easier to come back the next year. So those events are fun. Um, the part that's different that that's different with a basketball or with a video game is right now and because you're in my office you can see on a board I have uh, I have a schedule written up there for next year and oh, it yeah. sounds it looks great but the problem is, is I need the contract game contracts back uh, from some from some of these teams so it's great to you know manicure this and find the perfect times and everything but the truth of the matter is is it a lot well, of times getting contract getting contracts back is difficult but you're dick everything's dick like you don't just worry about you you have right. to worry in the fall like yeah. volleyball football women's basketball yeah like all of wrestling. these wrestling yeah. all of that stuff's going yeah. on and I, and i and i've said it before and it's like it's not hyperbole like i am amazed still at 10 years here when a game gets scheduled because there's so many things that would keep it from not being scheduled. A conflict with a women's basketball game, a volleyball match, a wrestling meet, uh, gymnastics meet. And all of those things are great. And we're everybody are great partners working together. But you have to really, you have a lot of things going on simultaneously to have somebody. And then that's internally and then externally. The price has to be right. The date has to be right. The opponent has to be right for us. So, again, I, I'm not, we're not doing rocket science over here with the scheduling but i mean it takes quite a bit of layers you know to peel back before you get a game it's like a puzzle it is it is and then and then you got to get the right ones uh you know on the right dates to coincide with coming off of those power five teams or those mte events so that you're not overloading yourselves uh you know because the schedules always sound great and head coaches and tj will be a part of this too like everyone wants to schedule a certain way in april and then we get our team and then you know by the time you get to october they're like any way we can change that up a little bit and yeah. i'm like no nah, it's set in stone so. yeah okay so last year though was mm -hmm. i mean that was the craziest scheduling thing i've ever seen yeah yeah like, so did you just have to tear up con like how did that work like because yeah. i assume you were I mean, are you, you're not done with the schedule when the pandemic hit because that was in like March, but you have a lot of it done, right? Yeah, we had the vast majority of it done. We had one school uh, that we signed a contract with back in, uh, I remember it was April 20th and I was thinking, we'll be back in the office soon. 
you know, that was the last, that was actually the last one. Like we were done at that point in April uh, of, of 20. Um, and then as we got closer and closer, we didn't know what, I mean, there was a time at one point we thought everything was going to be in a bubble. And then we're like, are we even going to have a season at all? And then once football started to become, you know, a little more solid that we're going to have a football season. Mm-hmm. I think then at that point we started to, to move more towards, okay, we're going to have some basketball, but wait, is that going to look like conference only schedule? Cause if you use the model that we did for football, you know, one non-conference game and the rest. So we didn't know if they were going to make us play the triple round Robin and mm-hmm. basketball or, you know, which that would have been, that would have been tough. But what we did was once we, once the first game date was established, it eliminated all of those other games that were already scheduled prior to that game day. Cause we had like four games scheduled before the initial, you know, game date. So what we did was we just renegotiated the contracts with those individuals, mm-hmm. you know, for those games that were, that were cut off. And then from the games from the first date um, on until the conference season began, we just renegotiated the con- some of the terms of the contracts uh, because of, you know, everybody kind of just used COVID language and saying, Hey, we can't afford to pay these massive, you know, because we don't know how many students or I'm sorry, how many fans are going to be in the stands Mm -hmm. and everybody took it. Nobody balked uh, at that, but yeah, everybody just wanted to play. Yeah. But that sounded great. But then you have situations where there's health issues arise, which were things that none of us could see on the horizon because in September and October, we're all saying, yes, let's do it. But you don't quite know what it means to uh, contact trace and to be a part of a game being canceled while your guys are yeah, yeah dressed out fully in their uniforms and, that's some interesting dialogue that uh, happened with DePaul, right? Happened with DePaul, and then uh, right before Christmas break, with um, right before Christmas break with Chicago State. Oh yeah, uh, you know that that happened. We had a little bit more lead time with that one, but the DePaul one was the was the game that you know you heard other people had happened to other people. You read it on Twitter, and you're like, man, that must stink for them that a game got canceled. But you know, it's kind of like being a parent. It kicks into high gear when it's you. What we did was we were on the floor, we were dressed out uh, in our game uniforms. And so we had our equipment people bring over the opposing color uniforms and we just had our guys continue because we felt like for their well-being, you know, that we didn't just need to, you know, just make them feel deflated. And so when that when once we realized that we were going to play DePaul, we did kind of a live scrimmage there that day. Um, but then the, you get into conference play and that's when we took our vacation yeah. to Lawrence. Uh, and I say vacation in the sense that we drove there on a bus, yeah. ate meal, slept in the bed, found out we had a COVID scare, yeah. got on the bus and drove back. So we vacationed in Lawrence in January, which is where a lot of people you know, choose to spend <laughs> their free time. Just a nightmare too. Cause you guys needed those early games. We did. We did. They would, you know, just for yeah. confidence building cohesion. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, to have the, not only w- was there the non-conference games that you needed, but then you get two conference games jammed in there and, you know, and you have K-State at home and then, you know, on the road at West Virginia. West Virginia game uh, haunts me. I remember watching it in my hotel before the football Big 12 championship game. You just feel like we all know how last season ended up. There were so many of those early games, the Texas game where it's like, man, if, goes a little different like right because those guys needed confidence yeah it, it, it'd yeah. be crazy to think like how things could have just turned out a little differently yeah and they we, we probably didn't show as well uh which is uh, the listeners are probably saying it's an understatement against kansas state at home but then w- the way that the guys bounce back on the road at west virginia a good oh, team yeah. and it wasn't as though we you know it wasn't like the baylor game on the road where we shot lights out where we weren't didn't had an outlier like we were consistent that game uh, against West Virginia, and then we just came up short at the end. But then also our next game, road game at Texas, I thought we played a very similar game plan. So, no doubt. you know, you're sitting there thinking, you know, is this going to be the way it goes? And then we ran into, I, I think, Texas Tech right after that, and they 
yeah. kind of shut that down a little yeah. bit. Okay, so um, Williams fantasy land here. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. so like you're you're like okay, I need a date on or it's um, November thirtieth. Yep. Okay. Do you is there like a software? Like, can you go like, or do you call ESPN and be like, Hey, you guys interested And like, how does it work? Because yeah. it, you, you can't just have like contact. Oh, I'm going to call the Northwestern state guy. Yeah. But right. Like maybe you do. Yeah. I don't know. How does it work? Yeah. So for the, so there's two different ways. So the MTEs, the multi-team events, your, you know, your Orlando, your Brooklyn, those we sign years and years in advance. And so that kind of gives us some structure to the schedule because we know the dates in which those are going to fall. So those those games right there, they fall there. Now, for if anyone looks back on any of these and I'm pointing at an old schedule, we we play a lot of the same non-conference team mississippi valley chicago state State. correct so it's relational and some of it is proximity you know when and i have a a map on my on my desk that i look at uh, that shows the uh you know that shows the distances between teams and one thing i noticed when i was at the university of central florida is i thought i was a scheduling guru uh because of the proximity of all of the teams to orlando and the ability to fly in and out of orlando and then once i got here and uh coach rudder blessed me with the chance to uh to do the scheduling (laughs) <laughs> uh, or got it off his plate, whichever way, uh, however you take that's it. But a, it's a big thing to get off of his plate is, right there. That is. That's a, yeah, that, that was a big thing, you know, for him. But, yeah, so for us, a lot of it is relational. And, you know, there's certain teams that every year need to reach a dollar figure, you know, for their budget. Yeah. And so because of our relationships and because, you know, people can get in and out of Des Moines. Now, again, we there's only about an hour, you know, uh, during the day when we're rude to them, it's when they come play in Hilton Coliseum. But outside of that, you know, we pay on time, they get hotels, they get, you know, they get meals. Uh, so it's a good setup to come in Ames because you can play Des Moines or I'm sorry, you can play Drake, you can yeah. play you and I. So we have a good, see that group. A lot. yeah, we have a good group and, and we try the schools around here. We try to work in concert with one another because once you get one of those teams that you can buy, it's easier to have them piggyback for one another than to, than to make multiple trips. Cause as you can see in the Southeast, there's so many bus trips there. So we have to overcome that every year. And so that's why it's relational. Uh, you know, we have to continue to, you know, I'm, I'm finishing up this year's schedule, but we're already talking for the following year's schedule because anytime you can kind of see that somebody played here two years ago, you know, they're always game to come back. And so that's why you may see a little redundancy with our schedule, but it's just hard to get new teams to come here. It's hard to get California teams to come here because of the time change, you know, from the West coast, it's a little easier for the teams to come from the East coast to the central. I I don't know. Maybe, maybe give us a little preview. Are are we going to get South Dakota state again? I'd love to see the Hendo. Yeah, TJ matchup. Yeah, I think we probably have a better chance of seeing a steel cage match between those two <laughs> than Man. we do based on last year's results and the familiarity there. We we probably actually have a better. People may want to see like our two staffs play basketball against be one great. another. I think that would be a great match. I don't know how TJ and Hindo I don't uh, would think, match. I think up Hindo would probably win that one. He probably would. <laughs> I, TJ just on sheer grit. Uh, may get himself into the. What about Penny? I mean, TJ and Penny. Yeah, Again, you could take Penny now. I, I don't know. You're he, in better shape these days, I think. I, well, you know, the thing that TJ has is just I, I, I say it's grit, but it's a little bit of just like stubbornness and anger that he's going to overpower whomever, unless it's with some of these bigger, bigger guys. But yeah, no. So um, that was yeah, that was it. I was so disappointed. I love those guys with PD and oh yeah, Glidden yeah. and and that that staff when they came last year. Yeah. So okay, 
that that's fun. It's, there's not like a portal that, you know, cause yeah. I was wondering, sorry. is there like a scheduling portal sorry. or is there like yes. a transfer? So yeah, sorry. I didn't fully answer your question. No, yes, th- yes, there is, but it's one of those things that's pretty congested. And what happens is you can send a message out to it. You can put up your available dates, but what happens is you get a lot of teams that you don't want. You're going to get team that's 114 out of 356 and you don't want to buy them. You know, so they're always looking for games, you know, um, you know, Cal Santa Barbara, St. Louis, teams of that nature. They're, they put their names in there as well. So it is kind of a big scheduling website. And you're like, you know, it's a, it's a, it makes for an awkward conversation if you're like, sorry, we don't want to pay you to come play, you know, in Ames. So these aren't the typical teams that we would pay to play. So uh, I don't venture into that land too often because we do have the relationships built in. And if it's yeah. not somebody that I know directly, usually it's somebody on the staff that can help us. But there is a database for people to be able to use but it just gets really it gets really clogged in there with uh, a lot of teams that are pretty good that want to get bought. Do you think there's any chance that Drake and you and I will ever come to Hilton again? Man, or is yeah, it too too hard now? Uh, I mean, I you know, when I first got here, I was floored by the fact that we played them in home and home. It was so I, rare. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, Kansas ain't going to Wichita. Right. And that's what, you know, when I and I'm coming off of a year when I was at Central Florida and we actually the year before and we actually played Florida and beat them at a neutral site. We actually played the first game at the Amway Center where the where the uh, Magic play and I think they were just like, "All right, that's it. It's done forever." And so when I came here, you know, my first game, first game that we ever lost was at Drake. You know, in that tiny little locker room, you know, Scotty Christofferson and, uh, you know, Chris Allen and Royce and that crew. We didn't play great. Drake played well. Uh, and then we played you and I at home and I'm sitting there watching this guy Tuttle and they're making all these shots. And I'm like, I can't believe we're playing these games. But it was a part. It, it was it was a cool thing. And then the big four classic I thought was awesome just because we were all there collectively. But right now in the, you know, say climate that we're in with, you know, with David Harris being at Northern Iowa and the two teams, Drake and Northern Iowa playing in conference play and then Iowa not playing, you know, Iowa not playing either of them. I just, I hope at some point there's another iteration of the big four. Cause I think that's the easiest way to pacify everybody. Uh, but I don't know if it'll ever get back to that point. I don't, I, yeah. And I think another thing too, it's easy. See, I see it from both sides. Mm-hmm. Like I get it. Why, if I'm a Drake fan, like this whole thing would piss me off. Right. I understand the yep. little guy. Yeah. But I also understand, like, there is a certain financial thing that you guys have to hit. And it's like, well, if we want to do these things for our players and be able to recruit and compete with the big boys, like, we ha- we can't just be giving up home dates all the time. Right. Right. right? I mean, yeah. that's especially now, because you're giving up a game, right, with the SEC. Yes. The Big East. Yeah. And then Iowa State now is in these the, the, multi-teams that right. we weren't in. Correct. 15 years ago when yeah. Wayne Morgan was the coach and you right. would get more games, right? right. Is yeah. it, am, I, am I piecing no. this together no. correctly? You're, the, the challenges do throw, you know, the SEC and the Big East, the three-game multi-team events, uh, the home-and-home home with Iowa, and then, you know, even playing, you know, I told TJ when he first got here, I said, hey, there's one thing I know that I can bring to the table and I can get an Elite Eight team to come you know, play us at Oregon State. And, you know, it was the, it was the back end of a home-and-home. Yeah. Home. When we scheduled the game originally back in 2018, I wasn't expecting them to be the Elite Eight team, uh, you no know, doubt. coming in here. But, you know, when you have that, it does – you do need a little bit of a – you know, again, no, not to disparage the teams that we're playing, but a little bit more of a breather statistically, you know, no on doubt. the route. So um, – but, yeah, I mean, I, there is, as a fan – 
I actually get it and, and understand it. And as somebody who was at a central Florida, like Miami wouldn't play us and Florida state wouldn't play us and Florida wouldn't play us. So I understand the reasoning behind it. I'm happy to see those, the success of those teams. They're really fun to watch. And we're lucky here in the state of Iowa with no pro teams to have, you know, four really solid programs, um, you know, that, that play on such a, you know, play well on the national stage. Yeah. It's just, and too, like fans, think that is is great but they also want you to get really good players yeah yeah and, you know and you need to be able to like charter and do all that stuff and you there's do. a certain business aspect of yeah. it that has to be met and yeah. I, I just don't know if everybody completely understands that. right yep there definitely is there's always some red tape or business aspect to it but you know again i personally again i'm not speaking for you know iowa state as a fan the big four was really fun because it got everybody together. It was in a great town. I thought, I think people didn't, we, we experienced wins and losses, you know, close, close games at the end. You know, the one that we played against you and I in 2013 uh, with the DeAndre Kane team oh, yeah. was a great comeback win for us. And then even the year that we lost to you and I, when we ranked in the top five, it was an amazing game. Then we turned around and went on the road at Cincinnati and won kind of propelled us to, you know, bounce back quickly for that. So I've been on both ends of winning and losing to those teams. And, you know, the big four was really fun. It was, I was sad to see it go away. Last thing I had for you is the transfer portal has been a, obviously a big talker. How's that changed your job? Yeah, it's changed quite a bit just to be more cognizant of, you know, not necessarily of players playing in real time, like during the season as it went on, but really just to figure out, you know, who fits where, because it looks like uh, for the first for these next couple of years, you know, it's going to be a big deal for people to jump in that portal. But what I think it's important for everyone to understand, while they have granted everyone that has never transferred that immediate year of eligibility, it's going to be harder for people who have transferred once and two and then in some cases, like Jalen Coleman lands, you know, three, three times, yeah. that becomes a more difficult process because now that's where the waivers are going to come from. So for your single, for your person who's never transferred before, uh, you know, it makes it a little easier, but yeah, you're a lot more conscious of, of people that are doing well, maybe in, you know, at the mid-major level. And then even with the interconference transfer rule, I mean, we essentially <laughs> did a trade, you know, with, yeah. uh, with Kansas, you know, like we'll, we'll take one Tristan yeah. and Aruna and you can have one Jalen Coleman lands. And it's yeah. just a you know, just think about it. Just one year ago, it was taboo, you know, and people say it makes the handshake lines different. I mean, I think it's going to be it's going to be one of those things where, um, you know, you're just going to have to be really conscious about not recruiting your players all the time, but, you know, just treating, you know, just treating them right. And, uh, you know, and hopefully, you know, things work themselves out, but teams will be able to turn over rosters a lot quicker. Crazy stat. And I, I, it hit me this weekend that Iowa State is involved with two guys returning home. With Tyler Harris going back to yeah, Memphis, yeah, and then Caleb Grill coming back to Iowa State—that's yeah. crazy. We yeah. never would have seen that five years ago. Never would have seen it, and I, I'd be interested to know how many cases there are like that, and then the potential for us, you know, with the connection to Iowa State and the potential that we could play. It makes it even more. Yeah. You know, oh, it yeah. It, it makes it even more unique. But yeah, it's that's another thing where, you know, you, you're not as conscious of it if it's not happening to people that, you know, and it'd be one thing if only Tyler Harris was returning or only Caleb. But to know that there's that Iowa State connection, uh, you know, hopefully it's mutually beneficial for, uh, you know, for both of those guys. But yeah, it's definitely a unique experience. All right. I told you to, to get ready for this. Uh, our sponsor, Graphite Construction Group, is um, uh, given five hundred dollars to the charity of choice for all of my guests guests this year who are you where are you gonna go yeah i'm a I, i'm a big uh boys club boys and girls club person so hopefully you know boys and girls club of of ames you know i grew up in gainesville florida and as a you know a, a parent of a single child 
the boys club is where I played, you know, my first football, basketball and baseball. And uh, hopefully that's something that we can help, uh, you know, with a donation of those folks. Cause just for me, it was really pivotal in my childhood to have somewhere to go. It was where, uh, I, I told my daughter the other day to play softball. It's where I hit my first home run and she said, prove it. And so I can't prove it other than to tell the story. <laughs> and, that, uh, we were probably playing on a hundred, hundred uh, foot field, but, uh, you know, but still that's where, you know, my first really good sports memories were from and, you know, really had some lasting relationships there. She's a heck of a softball player right here. She, she really enjoys the game. Yeah. She's, she, she, uh, that's her sport of choice right now. Yeah. That's great. And it was fun to watch the softball team. I really oh, enjoyed that run there. It was amazing. I'm so proud of coach Pinkerton and that staff just to see where they came, but like to have so many of those young ladies come back and then to see them fulfill their yeah. dreams, you know, from 30 plus years from not having made it. And then to make it all the way into the elimination game, you know, against Missouri, I think that was awesome for them. And hopefully they'll continue to build off it. It's been a really good sports season for, you know, for Iowa state uh, folks. I think softball when it's played at the high level is one of the most exciting sports yes. out there. I, I complete as somebody who sits at tournaments, uh, Friday through Sunday, every weekend when the sun's out, I agree. Oh. Uh, the games do move fast and you don't have to worry about people checking over their shoulder to steal bases and stuff. It moves pretty fast, but it's a fun sport. Well, and I, I've, I've told this story a lot when I was doing preps, like we used to fight over who could do the softball right. compared to the baseball, yeah. especially at the high school level. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it. I believe it. No, it's a, it's fun. And I think they get the rules right with it. Again, baseball is sacred. It was my first love. I love it to death. Cards everything. I love it. All of the rules of the game, but softball, you know, it just moves at such a quicker pace. They make contact with the ball. They're making plays, you know, in the field. So do yeah, you coach so. at all? No, from the stands okay. only, but yeah. you know, mostly just run through the bag. I just tell the girls run through the bag all the time. My wife tells me to, <laughs> to quiet down just to like, run through first base. But. No, that that's, that's great. I, I'm kind of getting the first taste of it with, with my daughter and nothing, nothing's better. Nothing's yeah. better than being out there and supporting, you know, supporting your kids. And they, they have great behavior when they're around other people they yeah. save the bad behavior for you when uh, you get home i know exactly what you're talking about yeah. there yeah thank you my man i appreciate it we need to do this more often all right absolutely thank you all right he's micah byers uh here on the built to lead podcast